Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to episode 131 of the Highly Relevant Podcast, a Latinx show where I interview the people and discuss the moments that are shaping our American and Latino pop culture. Well, we're into the first week of November already, uh, at least here in New York. I'm not sure where you guys are listening from. Some of you are listening. I saw you guys are listening from Germany on Spotify, uh, the UK. Um, I saw Dubai somewhere as part of the stats and the analytics of the podcast. Um, so I'm glad the show is uh, is a bit global for you guys. But uh, here in New York... We're going through the fall season. The leaves are turning uh, different colors um, and there's a big chill in the air and it just feels like winter's approaching. I started actually playing uh, Christmas songs the other day because I went to go see a movie with Henry Golding and Amelia Clark. Henry Golding's the guy, the lead actor from Crazy Rich Asians and Amelia Clark is from Game of Thrones. And uh, they did a movie called Last Christmas uh, based on the... Uh, the song from George Michael's Last Christmas, you know, Last Christmas, that, that song. As soon as I left the theater, I started listening to to Christmas songs on my way back home. I just walked it and um, I got into the Christmas spirit. I don't know. It's something about New York and the nippy, cool, cold air, you know, just brushing against your face. Something almost romantic about this season heading into the winter and... Um, and uh, it was it was cool. It was cool. Anyway, let me tell you about the show this week. On this episode, I want to introduce you to Marco Juarez. If you have not heard about him, he is the head of Latin music at Pandora. I'm sure many of you have Pandora. I've had Pandora, man, for years. The only thing I've never really liked about Pandora has been, you know, the uh, the commercials in between the songs. Just right when you get into a flow, like three commercials pop up and I hate it. And I'm not going to pay a dime for Pandora. It's just not going to happen. Um, especially when I can't control the music the way I can control it on Spotify. So that's the only problem I have with it. But I uh, had a conversation with Marcos about Pandora, where it is now, how it's competing with the other streaming platforms, uh, how um, Latin music is a part of the Pandora algorithms and the Pandora brand. Uh, what's the Latin music strategy? How did he get the job? Uh, we talked about genres. We talked about why Ozuna is the most listened to station at Pandora. We talked about Mexican music and how come it hasn't crossed over. Um, we had a lot of great conversations that I think you guys are going to get a great insight. And Marcos is one of the smartest people I've talked to in this industry. Guy is really eloquent. He knows exactly 
um, about music and especially Latin music. He almost talks about it in a very academic way, which to me is always very intellectually stimulating. And I think you guys will enjoy the conversation. But before I talk to Marcos, it's time I give you my weekly pop culture news recap in a segment I like to call Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Mexican-American director Alfonso Gomez Rejon will direct News Flash, a biopic about legendary anchorman Walter Cronkite. Rita Moreno is getting a documentary executive produced by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Scream 5 is in early development. Robert Rodriguez has cast Ben Affleck in a new thriller. Eddie Murphy is thinking of quitting acting and doing stand-up full-time. Paranormal Activity is getting another sequel. And defunct actor James Dean has been cast in a new movie 63 years after his death via CGI. In TV news, ABC to renew Revenge as a sequel with a Latinx lead. Zoe Saldana to star in an executive-produced new Netflix TV project with Reese Witherspoon. Apple TV's The Morning Show is returning for season two. Beverly Hills 90210 revival canceled after one season. And Lin-Manuel Miranda co-stars in a new HBO show called Dark Materials that's out now. Switching over to music, Selena Gomez made history as the first artist to hold a number one spot on both Billboard and Rolling Stone charts at the same time for Lose You to Love Me. Rosalia premieres new music video Apale, and Ozuna premieres a new music video called Hasta Que Salga El Sol. And in tech and social media news, Spotify launches standalone music app for kids. The US government is suspicious of China's TikTok app to be used as data spying. The Google Pixel 4 will be up to $400 off on Black Friday, and Apple commits $2.5 billion to combat housing crisis in California. California. I am now joined by Marcos Juarez, who is Pandora's head of Latin music. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Appreciate that, Jack. Well, Marcos, uh, tell me a little bit about how you came to be the head of Latin music at Pandora. Absolutely. Uh, so I've been at the helm of Latin music here at Pandora since 2012. Um, my background is a little bit unorthodox as far as Latin music industry. You know, I had uh, 11 years in music retail here in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, which for me was a invaluable education. Um, oh, when you say music retail, you were you were record store. Ah, oh, hey, we all did that job in the 90s, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, you know. Um, I mean, it was for me uh, an amazing resource in terms of learning about Latin music. But Latin music was more peripheral, um, and having a record store job allowed me to really dive into that. So, um, you know, begin collecting Latin music um, and consuming it pretty voraciously. Um, wow. Began DJing, doing clubs, um, ended up getting a degree in Latin American studies from UC Berkeley, worked radio there as well, um, started studying different folk traditions of uh, Mexican music. So it was really sort of a, a hybrid approach to this. And then, you know, like all, great opportunities. Somebody I knew um, was already working at Pandora, someone that I had connected with uh, while working at record stores, and made me aware that Pandora was looking for someone to lead uh, their Latin uh, programming effort. And so I came in 2012, did that, um, and have had a lot of uh, great success in, in building out what it is that Pandora offers and, and how we represent for Latin music and Latin culture. So usually when you enter a company for the very first time, you, you know, not every executive comes in with everything working perfectly. <laughs> so I'm sure there were some challenges on your end, and um, I don't want to necessarily assume what they were, but can you take us through the first six months of what it was like for you there? Was Spanish language music, was Latin music 
uh, top of mind for the executives there? Is it something you had to educate them on in terms of what it meant for business, what it meant for culture, what it meant for buzz? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think, um, you know, streaming was still nascent at this time. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I was brought in with the intention of uh, addressing and um, serving this audience. So I would say there was an awareness that this was um, a huge opportunity and that, you know, this was definitely something that needed to be covered well and covered, covered thoroughly. But, you know, I mean, back then, you know, Pandora was very much like a startup in a lot of ways, although it was, you know, publicly traded already at that point. And, you know, the, the industry leader in terms of digital streaming, um, you know, you, you kind of have to start from the beginning and definitely there are times when you have to advocate on behalf of Latin music and explain mm-hmm. the diversity within this, uh, genre that we call Latin music, which is obviously a misnomer. We're talking about two continents, uh, almost 1 billion people, infinite diversity. And so, you know, that was a lot of, um, I think the initial conversations I have just in explaining my approach and how, um, in order to do this well, you need to be reflective, of the diversity of Latin culture, as well as uh, the diversity of different periods and different styles of music, mm-hmm. and we need something for the abuelos at Christmas time, <laughs> and we need something for the kids, uh, you know, today having a house party. So, you know, it was it was being reflective and representative um, was really the mantra over and over and over. And you know, and those conversations still happen today, not so much internally but externally. And you, oh. I'm sure you run into this too. Oh. You know, just endlessly having to explain the opportunity with Latin music, the diversity of Latin music, um, especially when mainstream culture feeds you very uh, specific and rigid definitions of what Latin music is. You know, you often have to take a step back and 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 uh, elucidate people a little bit. Like, you know, there's a legacy here. There's um, diversity here. There's there's a, a great richness that should be considered. Have you seen an uptick in interest in Latin music for those uh, traditional users? Uh, I mean, absolutely. You know, we've always had a strong Latin audience. Um, you know, I think Pandora is at least amongst those who listen to Latin music is considered you know one of the foremost sources of Latin music in terms of digital music. Oh, I didn't know um, that. I, yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, there's more interest in general, especially as um, mainstream, quote unquote, mainstream artists uh, collaborate more freely with with uh, Spanish language artists. Um, you know, I mean, I think it it's it's more top of mind. I think Latin culture in general is moving more towards the mainstream. Um, I think Americans are becoming acculturated to Spanish language and to Spanish music. Um, you know, obviously food has been there for a long time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Spanish music has been influencing mainstream music for a long time. So I think this is a continuation of that. I think maybe one of the differences, though, is uh, access to technology and, and um, the ability to disseminate your own music much mm-hmm. more freely. And we have, there's much more choice and we are less beholden. Um, at least in the case of music, to the traditional gatekeepers of corporate music in terms of labels and that type of um, structure, wherein mm-hmm. you have to fit into a rigid definition of of what Latin music is. You're either a regional Mexican artist or you're a tropical artist or you're an urban artist. And I think the diversity of Latin voices um, has allowed for more people to identify with Latin music because more and more, there's something for everybody. And speaking about uh, everybody, you uh, recently, I've been reading a lot about El Ditor. And uh, the name caught my attention because <laughs> I was like, okay, I love the bilingual Spanglish 
uh, aspects of it. And but it's also just like a cool name. And I kind of wanted to ask you, what is it exactly? Sure. Um, so we have had some marketing efforts in the last couple of years um, around specific Latin genre listening experiences, the first of which was El Pulso, which really um, sought to highlight the phenomenon around Latin urban music and pop music. And it was informed by the large markets in the U.S. and the consumption um, patterns around, you know, what was this emerging um, new Latin pop sound that had really taken over in the last four or five years. Then we did uh, some programming around regional Mexican music, which is you know a juggernaut of um, Latin music consumption, the Latin music industry here in the United States. And that station was called RMX or RMX, which is shorthand for regional remix, Mexican. Right, sounds like yeah. remix though, right? Totally. Was that the illusion? Um, <laughs> um, I think it was sort of up for interpretation, depending mm. on you know what what you're coming into it with. So, you know, we covered sort of these bigger genres um, that are very much mainstream in Latin music, but we also saw the need to highlight all this independent music um, coming from different regions of the United States, as well as different regions of Latin America that didn't necessarily fall into specific genres. And the concept of El Detour was to really highlight music that maybe doesn't need a genre. Um, We're really looking at what are movements in specific regions like Los Angeles or Mexico City or um, Bogota or Miami. You know, what is the music that's emanating um, from the more DIY sect of, of musicians and artists? And so the idea with Detour was to allow for a platform to compile that music, to present that music, and to introduce our audience to artists uh, with um, you know, whom they may be unfamiliar with. Who curates it? Um, it's myself and my colleague, Leticia Ramirez. Okay. And I mean, obviously by just listening to you talk, you, you have a, a, an incredible understanding of, of, of Latin music and, and its history. Um, but isn't part of the technology, the algorithms, uh, aren't they supposed to be curating now? I mean, it's amazing that real people are curating it because you get a real human connection from it. But what about algorithm curating? Yeah, I mean... Algorithms still very much dictate listening experiences on Pandora. More specifically, though, when you type in an artist. When you type in somebody like Daddy Yankee, you're going to get um, a Daddy Yankee listening experience that is tailored to your um, to your feedback, to, to your interaction with the Pandora platform. Right. So based on what you've thumbed up and thumbed down, that is the music that you'll be fed you know, w- within the context of a Daddy Yankee listening experience. Mm-hmm. With our curated listening experiences, algorithm is part of it, but definitely we are feeding these stations with finite song lists and with very intentional um, programming and curating because there's specific um, cultural nuance that you really can't exploit with an algorithm. Um, right. So that's it. So it's really the marriage of, of technology data, and then also our cultural savvy and our ability to target and present what we believe will be uh, compelling for our, our audience. How do you select the music? Uh, it's a pretty exhaustive process. That's not, you know, necessarily scientific at all. I mean, we are constantly consuming uh, any information that we can to get a better sense of what's emerging in different markets and, and different areas. But do record labels music. like push songs on oh, yeah. you and say, all right, look, here's what we want to promote. You got to do it. If not, if you don't do it, we're not going to give you the music. 
Or is it more like, oh, no. let me listen to the, the whole album. Oh man, I love this deep cut and track number 11 is awesome. Let me put it on. Is it your personal tastes? Is it the tastes that are dictated by the arbiters of music, like record labels and publicists? Um, record labels, publicists, managers, artists, uh, you know, we communicate freely with all of them and we are dependent on them to have a better sense of what is the music that's being released, what's being worked on, what's, uh, what are promotional priorities. That said, um, you know, we are curators and we are programmers and we uh, very much determine what it is that we want to place in specific places. And so, um, you know, to that end, we're trying to create a cohesive listening experience within each of these different, um, you know, branded stations. Um, we learned very early on, or I should say I learned very early on that nobody cares what I like. So, <laughs> Wait, what, you know, what do you, you like, Marcos? What do you like? I, I'm I'm into everything. I mean, definitely my my core is you know I I came up collecting old school records, so music from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, Latin, um, Caribbean, African. But that said, I I listen to all the new reggaeton. I think it's incredible. I love the new um, corridos movement that's coming out of Mexican music. I love the the music that's feeding El Ditor. Um, you know, it's alternative with- music. That is a term, you know, that has often been put on anything that doesn't fit in a box. Definitely, you know, people still use Latin alternative um, as a. As How a should castle. we describe it? I don't know, man. <laughs> I think, For you to say think, that, that's pretty yeah. big. I think we're beyond genre, um, which oh. sucks if you're trying to like talk about music. It becomes very difficult to talk about music in in any sort of, um, you know. Uh, broad manner but I, I really think you know if you you ask a lot of these artists themselves what is your genre and they struggle with that question and so uh, to me it's more about what is this vibe this feeling or what is what is this regional context because you find a lot of music coming out of movements and they don't uh, necessarily fall into specific genres but like don't you think you that's have- a failure though of the people who are marketing this stuff here I'll just say the way the brain works sure. is compartmentalizes things that they see. Your brain is so overloaded with information that if you actually label them in a particular way, you uh, you can sustain the memory of that music or that artist on a much longer level. There's been a lot of studies of that. Um, yeah. Is it time that we come up with labels or do you think labels are offensive to to creativity and, 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 and artistry? I, I think it's essential. I mean, ultimately, we have to talk about music somehow. Right. So there's, there, there will always be genres. And even these artists that I'm talking about, you know, you read their press releases, they give themselves genres. Mm. But what's exciting for us to, to not deal so closely with genre is it allows us a freedom um, to, to be more sound specific. And we can, it's more around like cultural experience, sound, time, movement. And you don't have to fit into this like, on this station, we have indie and electro, and I mean, you, you you can pivot as music changes, and I think that that is the fluid way in which people listen and consume music. People, for, you know, a lot of people, I think, especially connoisseurs of music, um, don't like putting themselves in boxes. You know, you always ask somebody, "What are you into?" and they say, "Oh, I'm into everything." And so, I, <laughs> which I think, leaves me uh, as confused as the question I asked originally. Yeah, so I, th- I think. Genre has a place, but there's also places where we can talk about music without genre. Um, as the decade ends, Latin music's rise and in influence in the mainstream has been astonishing, um, mainly because to me, most of it is sung in Spanish. And that's what is astonishing to me. 
Can you explain from your professional view, what were the factors that led to Spanish language urban music to connect with mainstream musicians? For example, Flor de Toloache with John Legend, uh, Piso 21 with uh, Black Eyed Peas, uh, Katy Perry and Daddy Yankee. Where is this coming from? I'm glad that you kind of called out some different tiers of this. You know, Toloache, I think, is representative of of an audience that already was into this. That's like the NPR kind of audience. Mm, the, the audience okay. that was into that was into Buena Vista Social Club, that was into Los Lobos. Like, you know, the... the yeah, the, the culturati, the uh, arbiters exactly. of intellect uh, interests. Exactly, KCRW, right. exactly. Mm-hmm, in LA, right. Um, you know, so I think... I think you have that, and and that has always been here, and that's great. Um, within the mainstream, though, I think number one, it's the growth of the Spanish-speaking and Latino population in the United States. Um, as that increases and becomes younger, the influence on popular culture becomes stronger and stronger. And you know, some of the factors that I mentioned earlier, um, access to dis- you know the ease with which music is Technology, disseminated, right? Exactly. You know, there, there's you can have more than one Spanish song out. You know now at a time you know you can have drake um singing with bad bunny at the same time that you have Katy perry and daddy yankee um and you know and that was not possible i think in the 90s and so i think it's an acculturation um i think also just the global um influence of this music is uh, you know has an influence on the u.s um it used to be that the u.s uh dictated more um, global trends. And I think now that there's been some uh, equalization in terms of global music, um, we're seeing shifts there as well. You know, you were just talking about regional Mexican music, and I understand everything you're saying that the reason Spanish language music has uh, integrated itself within the mainstream as of late, I, f- I feel like in the last two, three years, um, there was a moment when Juanes was performing at the Today Show and no one really went out to see him. Then Romeo Santos went out on the Today Show and it got packed because it's Romeo Santos, but not to the extent of the stadiums he's packing. And he was singing bachata in Spanish. Great. Nothing came from it. But then you started seeing J Balvin and reggaeton come into the scene and that seemed to have stuck. I remember his first performance on the Today Show was like, whoa, reggaeton just went mainstream and then Z100 started playing it. So but why is it that regional Mexican music has not been able to hit mainstream yet? Why is in Los Tigres del Norte on the Jimmy Fallon show every night? Well, I think it's 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 Sonic. Um, I think is the issue, um, and it's you know um, regional Mexican music is uncompromisingly Mexican. Right. J Balvin, J Balvin will meet you halfway. You know, sonically, reggaeton is not that far off from hip hop or trap. I mean, you, you you can connect those, but if you're looking at artists that are playing with twelve string guitars, tubas, bajos, quinto, bajo sexto, bandas, that that is for the non uninitiated listener is is a stretch. And it and if you didn't grow up listening to that, it's asking a lot. Um, and I think that's part of it. And it's similar to country music. And I, I would equate the two that they're both very regionally focused, focused on a specific vernacular. Even though within regional Mexican music there is a ton of diversity, you know, and I'm not trying to pigeonhole it to say there's one thing. But I think sonically, you know, if you if you don't like accordions, like what are you going to do with Ramon Ayala or Rostigles del Norte? So 
I think um, I think it's a sonic thing, you know. And even within the even within the own Latin music industry, regional Mexican music sticks out. It's like the stepchild. You go, you know, you, you, <laughs> it does. You watch the Grammys, yeah, or you watch the Billboard Awards. It's like a million people collaborating, and then they give a second for the banda to come out. Well, and that was so, the issue with the Latin Grammys on CBS. Remember that in the early two thousands, where they I think they were going to sue uh, the Latin Grammys or CBS, saying that uh, there was, uh, I believe, it was a level of racism or prejudice that was put on regional Mexican music. And, you know, no one's really talked about the narco aspect of that. Do you believe that that's something that people consider when putting these bands on a mainstream uh, platform? Um, I don't think that, I think the bigger consideration, I mean, because nobody cares about, I mean, if it makes money, no, you know, right. People, people don't care. Um, I just think, um, you know, it just goes back to the culture and, and the sound of the music and the stigmas around wh- who listens to regional Mexican music. You know, there's a perception that it skews old and that is rural. And we're seeing that this is absolutely not the case. There's huge audiences for this in urban markets. And you have uh, first, second generation Mexican-Americans making regional Mexican music that speaks more locally. So the narco corridos of, you know, 15 years ago, have made way for what they call corridos callejeros, which is like street corridos that focus on urban culture in cities. Right. And, you know, we're seeing more and more of, you know, often these singers will sing in Spanish, but their social media presence is all in English. So I think we're going to see this all flip with regional Mexican music. And actually Snoop put out a, a photo of himself collaborating with Banda MSA. When do you think regional Mexican music is going to go English? Oh, man. I hopefully never. Uh, that, sounds, <laughs> that sounds terrible. Okay, well, how's about um, this? When do you yeah. think that country music and regional music will fusion together? Well, you know, I think that's already happening to an extent. If you look at Texas, um, you know, there's a lot of country in Spanish. And if you listen to a lot of these Tejano artists, Intocable, um, Bronco, there are influxes or, you know, influences of, of country music. Um, it's interesting, you know, we can see... Who's listening to, like, for for example, Ramon Ayala? We can see, if we look at his Pandora radio station, we'll see all the music that um, people are listening to. And sometimes you see artists like George Strait come up in there. So, like, Texas country. So, there is that, you know, that um, cross-cultural pollination already happening um, to the extent that it gets big and, and moves beyond just region uh, remains to be seen. Which is the Latin station whose genre is the most listened to at Pandora? Uh, I'll put it this way. Our, our biggest Latin artist station is Osuna. And that's the biggest wow. one overall. Yeah. Wow. Why um, do you think Osuna, not Daddy Yankee, not Luis Fonsi, not Bad Bunny, J Bal- I mean, I, I think J Balvin is the number one guy, right? But what is it about Osuna that people like so much? Um, I think Osuna came out at a time when um, reggaeton needed something different. Um, he has a very distinct voice, and um, I think um, the 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 collaborations that he did, um, the steps that he took, starting in trap, um, and then balancing that with more melodic reggaeton. I think um, I think he's just the the perfect pop star, to be quite honest with you, and has had hit after hit after hit. Um, and you know, Jay Balvin maybe gets a little more attention. Um, Balvin does interviews in English, you know, Balvin was on Spanish, also primarily, uh, Spanish language. Um, 
excuse me, that, Balvin did interviews in English. I don't know if I said that correctly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Osuna, not so much. And so, um, you know, I think that has helped Balvin be more top of mind. But that said, Osuna, you know, collaborated with DJ Snake and Selena Gomez and Cardi B. So Osuna's right there. And um, I think, you know, he is like, the Latin pop star that that most people would point to. Oh yeah, the New York Times loves Osuna. <laughs> I mean, yeah. their chief music critic is constantly, you know, I think he's done like a podcast episode just on Osuna. Right before I let you go, Marcos, I wanted to talk to you about podcasts. Does Pandora have a Latinx podcast strategy? Absolutely, we are. I think um, you know, the strategy is has been um very, you know, methodical in some ways and so there's not a ton of content. Um, yet, but the idea is to increase that. And part of it, though, is like, you know, I, I would challenge anyone to name me 10 Spanish language podcasts that really resonate with the US audience. So I think part of it is, is building that audience. I mean, definitely there's, there's morning shows that, that syndicate and that become podcasts. Um, but I think it's not natively a podcast, right? Yeah. I think, I think. There's a lot of work to to allow a platform and a voice for Latinos to to speak in English or Spanish and to fill. Because I, I do feel there's a void. I mean, you're in this world. I, I don't know if, if you would agree with that, but um, I think you know there's a ton of 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 space for Latinos to assert themselves within the podcasting realm. Um, so you know we do have some programming. But I think, you know, there's more to do. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Marcos. Great conversation. And for those who are not Pandora listeners um, and they're curious about exploring uh, other musical platforms and they want to try out Pandora, why should they go? In my particular case, the reason I go is because I happen to think that the curation algorithm that you guys have is probably the best. And I think your library is completely different than the ones on Spotify, Tidal, um, and, and even iTunes. So well, I think you uh, hit the nail on the head. I mean, as far as a uh, listening experience, um, that's tailored with algorithm as well as human curation. I think Pandora is the finest radio product period. So, you know, in terms of leaning back and listening to music and trying to discover new things, um, Pandora is without equal and Pandora has all the same on-demand features that Spotify, Apple, um, Amazon have as well. So if you want to listen to albums, or songs, you know, that is that is also an option. And you know, the the breadth and depth of catalog on the Latin space is is deep, man. It sounds infinite almost. <laughs> I've been there yes. and I've seen some really obscure stuff, man. I'm like, wow, I haven't even heard it. Like, what is this? So That's great. uh great job, man. Uh Marcos, thank you for the chat. Appreciate it, Jack. Take care, man. And before I head on out, here are three Latin tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Eres todo lo que tengo, lo que siempre esperaba, te busco en mis sueños. Mi mitad, San Alejo. Prometimos discreción con la sensación. Discreción, Girl Ultra. Vamos a relajar el pony. A terciopelados en Jorge Celedón. For episode 131 of the Highly Relevant Podcast, I want to thank Marco Suarez for dropping by. And if you'd like to support this podcast, please spread the love on social media and tell all your friends about it. 
You can reach me on Instagram at Jack Rico and my Facebook page at Jack Rico 40. Remember, it's only through your support that our show can grow. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.